Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we're here with my birthday episode. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. This is actually the day before my birthday. But I was super excited about this because you know what? I had so much fun with the 2018 Suspiria wonky (laughs) horror ballerina movies. And I have no interest or history as a ballerina, but I just tend to go on deep dives with them. And you cannot think about ballerina horror movies without thinking about the sexuality forming dark, twisty Black Swan from 2010. I love this movie. There's a lot of conversation as to whether this is considered a horror movie. If you ask the Oscars, it is. So (laughs) hence, we're going to cover it. Now, had you seen this before? I actually have. I thought you did, which I thought this would be interesting for both of us to revisit. This is like my third or fourth time watching this. I only saw it once before. I have no memory of that experience. I just know that like watching the movie a second time, like I knew some of the things that were coming. I guess previously I might not have considered this a horror film or else I never would have agreed. (laughs) But here we are. I think it classifies as a horror film. There are some really uncomfortable pieces to it. And I mean, we covered Love Witch. So like anything at this point is a step up as far as horror goes. In our entire Housewives episode, they were both thrillers. Yeah, seriously. Our podcasts are rules. (laughs) And this is a horror movie. But starting out with our ladies, we have Nina, who is our protagonist. She is played by Natalie Portman. We just talked about her very recently with covering Annihilation. She's also known for the Star Wars franchise, Mars Attacks. And she actually produced Pride and Prejudice in Zombies. She produced that? Yes. She was a producer. Next year, that's going to be my birthday movie. So Calling when, it now. When May rolls around, like get ready for some Pride and Prejudice and Zombies Jane Austen shit. Hell Yeah. She is also credited as the White Swan slash Odette. She won very many things for her role in this movie, (laughs) um, including Academy Award for Best Actress, Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Actress, Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama, a Saturn Award for Best Actress, Teen Choice Award for Best Actress, Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress, and 16 other awards and accolades for this film role specifically. Wow. She was fucking killing it. She was killing it. I had to go through her awards and nominations wiki page and count the amount of weird (laughs) regional film festivals for shit that she won for. So, so many. We also have Lily, who is played by Mila Kunis. Now, she is in American Psycho 2, which is a little known, little celebrated (laughs) sequel to American Psycho. And obviously, we know her from that 70s show, that 90s show, bunch of other teen dramas, all that kind of stuff. She is also credited as the Black Swan or Odile. I didn't know that the swans had names. They do. Odette and Odile. Odile, I'm not quite sure. She won a Saturn Award and Scream Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role in this film. And she won the Marcello Mastroianni Award for Best Emerging Young Actress at the Venice Film Festival. And this is notable because Taylor Russell won this award in 2022 for Bones and All. Oh! So something about these Venice Film Festival premieres with these horror movies is just so, so fun. We also have Erica, who's played by Barbara Hershey. We know her as Lorraine from the Insidious franchise, so not Lorraine Warren from The Conjuring, but Lorraine the Grandmother from the Insidious franchise, Rose Byrne's mother. Oh my gosh, yes! Yes! She's also in The Manor, the Damien TV series, and she's also a Golden Globe and Emmy-winning actress who's been acting for over 50 years. She's in so many things. Nice. She's also credited as The Queen, and she won a Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role in this film. 
Does this movie also mimic the plot of the Black Swan? Of Swan Lake, yes. Of Swan Lake, rather. Like, just beyond just the White Swan, Black Swan situation? So, I didn't find a lot of research to the truth of that. But being that all of these actresses have, like, these dual roles, like, even if you go on the wiki, some of the male actors also have these dual roles. I do think that there's some similarities. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! I don't know anything about Swan Lake. But you're right. I mean, they're credited as the queen, the black swan, white swan. Well, that's really interesting. That's the thing. I wish I had a little bit more time to go into that. I didn't find anything that was drawing those parallels for me specifically. But if you are of the theater or of the ballet, (laughs) please let us know. And then lastly, we have Beth, who is played by Winona Ryder. We know her on this podcast from The Crucible. Yeah, first and foremost. First and foremost, (laughs) she's from The Crucible, but she's also obviously from Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Stranger Things, and the upcoming Haunted Mansion in Beetlejuice 2. Obviously, so many more things. She's Mm -hmm. fucking incredible. And she's also credited as the Dying Swan. So some pre-plot trivia. This is directed by Darren Aronofsky, and we know him because he directed the movie that ruined Elise's life, Mother. (laughs) It killed me, and it brought me back to life. (laughs) Fun fact about this movie, it is one of only six horror films to ever be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. So we have Black Swan, which lost to The King's Speech, The Exorcist, which lost to The Sting, Jaws, which lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Sixth Sense, which lost to American Beauty. Get Out, which we're covering next week, which lost to The Shape of Water. And Silence of the Lambs, which is the only to win. Wow. There's also contention as to whether Parasite, which won in 2019 for Best Picture, is considered a horror movie. We watched Parasite together. We did. And somebody requested a while ago. I forget where. Somebody requested that we cover Parasite. But I did look it up. According to the Wikipedia, it's considered a thriller. So if the Oscars didn't consider it a horror movie, I didn't put it in this list. But I did want to note that people were going to be like, what about Parasite? There are horrific elements to Parasite. We've watched it together. Mm -hmm. However, the Oscars didn't say it was a horror movie, so I didn't either. Yeah. And again, if I watched it without blinking an eye, it's not the most horrific thing. So Natalie Portman, in her preparation for this role, was trained by professional ballerina Mary Helen Bowers, and she and Mila Kunis trained for five to eight hours a day daily for six months, and Natalie Portman lost 20 pounds. She also sustained many injuries on the set, including a concussion, broken toes, and dislocated ribs. Oh my gosh, those are serious. I mean, even just like seeing the things that were filmed for the movie and were obviously fake hurt yes. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Natalie Portman met her husband, Benjamin Millipede, on the set of Black Swan, who was a choreographer on the film. Aww. And there's going to be some fun pre-plot trivia because he also is in the movie. Really? Yes. There's going to be a fun little side that I'll talk about when we get there. Oh my God. So you ready to get into it? I am ready. All right. So how do we open? Okay. So there's some classical music playing as a ballerina dances in a single spotlight on a dark stage. We see that it is Natalie Portman playing who will soon be introduced to us as Nina Sayers, dressed in a white dance outfit as a white swan. Suddenly, another dancer, a man dressed in black, very menacingly joins her on stage and attacks her via dance choreography as a part of the routine. The music crescendos and dies away as suddenly Nina wakes up, smiling from what we realize was a very joyful dream to her. 
She tells her mother about it as they sit together in the kitchen a little later as she stretches next door in the living room kind of area of their little apartment. And her mother serves her breakfast, one egg and half a grapefruit. Hmm. Her mom sees a mark on Nina's back as Nina's getting ready to leave. She's going to a dance audition, but Nina assures her it's nothing. But her mother seems very concerned. She asks her if she's been scratching herself again, but Nina says it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Her mother asks, would you like me to come to the audition with you? But Nina declines. So already we're being introduced to Nina. She's a ballerina. She's auditioning for something. And her mother is very hands-on. Yeah, and it's important to know that Nina must be in her 20s. We at least presume that she's post-college. But when she wakes up, we see that her bedroom has not changed since she was probably eight years old. It's very pink. She's got like a princess framed bed. It's still a twin size bed. There's a bunch of stuffed animals all around. When her mom presents her breakfast to her, she says it's so pretty, like very childlike. And her mom wants to accompany her to this audition, even though she's obviously very capable of going by herself. And she's like, oh, you sweet girl. And this mention of her being this sweet girl is something that comes back very often throughout the plot. So she's on the subway and she sees somebody dressed in black that she seems to take notice to. That person walks out of view. So she walks and looks at posters of Winona Ryder <laughs> on the front of the dance company as the white swan. And as she enters the dressing room area, the other dancers are gossiping about Beth, who is Winona Ryder, saying that they need somebody new. Beth is way too old. And Nina seems to be the only one that's appreciating how amazing of a dancer that Beth is, that other ballerinas have danced into their 50s. They should have a little bit more respect. And then we meet Lily, who busts in. She's a new dancer and the person that Nina saw on the subway. And she's greeted very coldly, despite her trying to be friendly to everyone else. She's from San Francisco. We're assuming this is somewhere in New York City. Then we are in dance class. Auditions are beginning in the early phases. We see Nina readying her shoes, which I was never a dancer either, but I know ballerinas have to put in work to break in their shoes. <laughs> and we see it looks like a new pair of shoes. She's tearing them apart, getting them ready. And as the dancers are moving through their warmups, a man arrives and starts to speak to the company. We are later introduced to him. He is Thomas, the director. And he says, quote, we all know the story, a virginal girl, pure and sweet, trapped in the body of a swan. She desires freedom, but only true love can break the spell. Her wish is nearly granted in the form of a prince. But before he can declare his love, the lustful twin, the black swan, tricks and seduces him. Devastated, the white swan leaps off the cliff, killing herself, and in death finds freedom. So as he goes around, we can see that he taps a couple of the dancers on the shoulder. And after his monologue and the warm-up is over, he announces that the people he tapped on the shoulder are to go into one studio, and the ones that he did not tap are to meet him later in the principal dance hall. So already based on the reactions, it seems like people know that if you were not tapped and meeting in the principal dance hall, that you might be in the running to be one of these principal dancers in the production. So later, Nina is preparing to go to the principal studio and hears Beth throwing things in her studio and crying or her green room, her locker room, whatever the her fuck Her dressing is. room, yeah. Her dressing room and crying. 
She storms out in a rage and Nina slips into her dressing room and looks around, sits at her vanity, puts on her lipstick, and then takes a couple of Beth's belongings. So we can tell even though Nina's kind of been characterized as this very innocent type of character so far, she does have this hunger for success. She does have this emulation of Beth that she so badly wants to be the star of this production that she'll go as far as putting on the star's lipstick to try to appeal to Tomah. And she's a little klepto (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) later nina is dancing in the principal dance hall for the director and he whispers to her ear that the white swan should be hers before asking to see her black swan routine as well he begins directing her during her dancing as this black swan which we can tell does not come as naturally to her as the innocent white swan But then Lily arrives, and upon her entrance, Nina is distracted and stumbles. The director introduces Lily and does not ask Nina to continue her dance routine. So Nina feels a little bit snubbed by Lily's arrival and feeling like she fumbled the second half of her audition. Nina is obviously distressed that she feels as though she messed up the audition. So she goes and gets sick in the bathroom and takes the train home. And this is the beginning of a pattern of many self-destructive behaviors that we see Nina having. We often see her getting sick in the bathroom and picking at her skin. So a lot of nervous habits, obviously an eating disorder of some degree. She's walking home and ignores a call from her mom and sees somebody dressed in black at the end of a tunnel. It's one of those sidewalks that has like a cover over it. Not from the city. I don't know what the fuck they're called. There's construction going on, so there's scaffolding. Yeah, but as they walk toward each other going in opposite directions, she sees herself. Her hair is down. She is dressed a little bit more provocatively. She's wearing black. She looks a little bit more promiscuous. And she's obviously stunned by her mirror image out walking about. But despite this, she arrives home. Her mom notes that she's late and is peppering her with questions about the audition. She says it went fine and then proceeds to sob into her mother's arms as she comforts her. So obviously we can tell that these two have a close relationship. She feels safe breaking down in front of her. Later that night, she's practicing more in the mirror and ends up hurting her toe. Her mom is later bandaging her up and telling her that she's working too hard. And her mom is taking care of her in a way that's very uncomfortable. She's taking her jewelry off of her, tucking her into bed, setting her music box next to her bed and says, it'll be better in the morning, sweet girl. And I wrote, this bedroom and relationship belongs to a six-year-old and Mm -hmm. not a 26-year-old. Yes. The next day, Nina puts on Beth's lipstick that she took and returns to the studio. And she decides that she is going to ask the director to reconsider her for the main role of the white slash black swan. And by the way, the same person has to play both. So Thomas tells her that he has already chosen Veronica, which Veronica has started to be coded as like the quintessential mean girl of the company. But then he turns around and challenges Nina for giving up the role so easily. Because upon hearing that news, Nina is ready to leave. But he's like, oh, no, no, no. He's playing some trickery on her to test her. He asks her what she's doing all dolled up in his office. He continues to say that he only sees the white swan when he looks at her. He never sees Nina lose herself in the roles she dances, to which she responds that she wants to be perfect. So then he forcibly kisses her, but she bites him in return and then leaves very frazzled and embarrassed for how that whole situation went down. 
So later, news that the list just got posted is spreading. Nina doesn't even want to look. And as she passes Veronica, she just tells her congratulations, working off of the knowledge that Tomas told her. So as she's walking away, Veronica comes back and yells at her, says, you know, fuck you. Was this some kind of joke? Making her go back and check the list. And she got the Swan Queen. Yeah. She calls her mom to tell her that she got it and says, he picked me, mommy. Which... Especially, like, based off of the knowledge that she was just sexually assaulted by this guy, and she's still holding him in such a high regard, saying, he picked me, is really showing that Nina obviously has a very naive mentality and is so focused on one thing that she doesn't see when the people around her are taking advantage of her. And literally everybody in this movie takes advantage of her. I just feel so bad for her, especially in this first stretch of the movie. When she comes out of the bathroom stall that she was talking to her mother on the phone in, she sees that somebody has written whore in red lipstick on the bathroom mirror. I love the memes that came out of this image. Natalie Portman wiping whore off the bathroom mirror was like a react meme for a lot of things. It's just like (laughs) me after seeing the Snapchats I sent at the club at 2 a.m. It's her like wiping whore off of the thing. (laughs) It's just like it turned into a reaction meme for a while, even though it's a very obviously sad image. But I also think about this image a lot because we'll see Nina isn't the most reliable narrator and we're seeing the film through her perspective. So there are some moments like this one where I'm like, did that happen? Yes. Is this a part of Nina's subconscious or is this Veronica up to her shit? Right. Because it could be both. Mm -hmm. When Nina gets home, she sees a bunch of her old self-portrait art projects on display around the house. I thought originally they were her old art pieces from maybe elementary school or high school. But then I see her mom painting later, and I'm wondering if they're her mother's art creations. But either way, there's a bunch of portraits around that are elementary school abstract art-esque. Not to say that abstract art is elementary, but there's something about them that feels like they might be pieces from Nina's childhood on display, which tracks with the kind of mother that we're seeing her living with, somebody who's very attached to Nina's past and her girlhood. One of the portraits even appears to move its eyes. Did you catch that? Oh no, I didn't. Oh my gosh, it's so spooky. Nina goes to the bathroom, and while she's there, she sees that her back rash that her mother noticed earlier that day seems to be getting worse. When she comes out of the bathroom, her mom has come home with a big cake and starts cutting her a huge piece to celebrate landing the roll. But Nina declines a piece that's so big because she says her stomach is still in knots. And then her mother picks up the whole cake and threatens to throw it all away. So then, of course, Nina apologizes profusely and begins eating the piece that her mother has cut for her. But again, we're seeing toxicity in this relationship, not only from the perspective that her mother can't let go of Nina's childhood, but there is just this like kind of toxic manipulative behavior going on. Later, we see Nina dancing with a male partner. Toma repeats that the white swan was never the problem, but she'll need to metamorphosize into the black swan and says, get ready to give me more of that bite, which obviously is double coded because she bit him after he assaulted her. Later, we see the company practicing. She's watching Lily dancing with her hair down, which obviously is not something ballerinas do. Very often, they're very much up, do, tight, needing to be precise with their movements. Tama joins Nina as she watches and tells her to watch the way that Lily dances. She's effortless and precise, but she's not faking it. 
Nina then receives flowers from Toma later. You know, she feels very special and feels even more special when later that night she is led through a fancy event with Toma as they climb the stairs and Toma presents her as the new Swan Queen and informs the crowd that Beth will be retiring. Toma addresses Beth as my little princess Ugh. and that sends Beth running from the room. So we're getting a lot of hints that Toma has done the shtick before and he is as predatory as we're reading him to be. While in the bathroom, Nina sees a wound on her finger, like from picking at the skin around her fingernails. So she begins to peel at the skin and oh, the <laughs> string of skin makes it halfway down her finger before breaking off and sending her finger bleeding into the sink. She winces at the pain and rinses off her finger before taking it out from under the water and realizing that her finger is not at all injured and she is not bleeding and she is fine. There is no wound. So is she hallucinating? It looks like she definitely is and not just of her doppelganger. <laughs> Meanwhile, someone has been knocking on the bathroom door Nina finally opens it and finds it's Lily, who introduces herself formally for the first time and is very friendly toward Nina. She says, congratulations. It's refreshing to see that attitude toward Nina because she's been bullied and taken advantage of so far from what we can see. She asks Nina to stay and chat more, but Nina leaves. At the end of the banquet, Toma asks Nina back to his place for some drinks before he's called back to speak to some couple that he needs to address. So he asks Nina to wait, and while she does, Nina observes a statue in the hall, but then Beth approaches suddenly. She's super intoxicated and starts interrogating Nina about what she did to get the role. She says, did you suck his cock? And then Nina responds, not all of us have to. I was talking about this with the Stepford wives, but now I'm thinking about it with Nina. Like, I gotta be taking notes. Some of these <laughs> comebacks that these women have in these movies are so good. That, of course, does not make Beth happy, and Toma returns, diffuses the situation for now. She calls her a whore, which makes me think was Beth the one who wrote it on the mirror, because it was public knowledge that she had gotten That's the right. role at that point. Mm. And then Nina goes back to Toma's place. He says that he doesn't want any boundaries between them and then starts peppering her with questions about her sexual history, how many boyfriends she had, and if she enjoys sex. She says that she's not a virgin, but doesn't answer the question of if she enjoys sex, which informs a theory that I'm going to post later. Ooh. I hate how he frames this conversation as artistic exploration, mm -hmm. when really she is visibly uncomfortable. Ugh, and especially in her naivety, like it just feels like every scene with Toma so imbalanced as far as, again, that power dynamic. Especially because he says things like, we have to be able to talk about things like this. I have a little homework assignment for you. Go home and touch yourself. Live a little. See how it feels to feel. And he's framing this in the sense of, you won't be able to access the black swan unless you feel this unbridled pleasure. But obviously we know that this is a perverted man taking advantage of a girl who wants something very badly. So at home, Nina's mother helps her undress... Again, another uncomfortable scene. And Nina protests, but her mother helps her undress nevertheless and sees that the rash is getting worse. This is, I think, when she mentions something about Nina scratching herself again. She gets nervous seeing that this wound has gotten worse. And as she leaps into action, cutting Nina's fingernails, again, we're sensing this rising tension. The next morning, Nina, finally alone, wakes up and begins masturbating before turning over in her bed and realizing that her mother is sleeping in the chair beside the bed. 
And I wrote the silhouette of this is so creepy because the way it's shot is we are seeing Natalie Portman acting on the bed. And in the background, you're still seeing the childish wallpaper and the stuffed animals and the pink and and the silhouette of seeing this woman experiencing pleasure. She even tops her own hand like she turns over and is riding her fingers. And it's just really weird with the silhouette of seeing her experience this kind of pleasure in her childhood bedroom and then obviously turning her head to see her mom sitting there. And even her mom the night before was being almost territorial with her, saying, he must have been on your side all night showing you off. I knew the pressure would be too much. And I think part of this comes from a place of concern because we later learned that Erica, the mother, was also a ballerina, was also in the dance company, and she knows how things go. But also to the same time, she's being very overly protective. And I'm cautious to even use that word, but very overly concerned with people sexualizing Nina, which again, I could see in a predatory situation. But with some of these other instances we've gotten of her mother being very hands-on, it's very uncomfortable. It seems more invasive than anything else. So later at practice, a fellow dancer enters and gives the news that Beth is in the hospital... She was hit by a car. Very sudden, very jarring. The ballerinas are all upset because it seemed like a lot of them looked up to Beth. Later, when Nina talks to Tomas about it, Tomas says that he suspects that she threw herself in front of the car on purpose. But he reminds Nina that this is her moment and to not let it go. But he also says that that was something that I loved about Beth. She had dark impulses, which made her so thrilling to watch. Again, trying to romanticize the idea that this woman just tried to kill herself. But he's trying to still frame this as a learning opportunity of this is why you need to let go. This is why you need to let yourself go. This is what I loved about Beth. Can't you be more like that? That is such a good point. Like romanticizing... I don't want to call it madness, but romanticizing like women experiencing depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. It feels very gothic, not to always connect everything these days back to gothic elements, but even thinking about like the gothic doppelganger and now romanticizing women slipping into some kind of dark, isolated place mentally, acting irrationally because of the actions of others surrounding them. It's so sinister, like assuming that the only way a woman could be artistic and a master is if she loses all control at the hands of somebody else. Like if she becomes so unhappy. If she's suffering. If she's suffering or sleeping with the director. Like right. it, it feels like we're in the process of watching Toma try to break Nina down for his own pleasure, watching her break down, just like he might have done with Beth before. And we see her maybe start to realize this as Nina later visits Beth in the hospital and puts flowers at her bedside. Beth is knocked out. She is not conscious. But as Nina lifts the cover, she sees lots of trauma on Beth's legs. There's screws in her legs. There's braces. And she is mortified. I wrote, is she mortified because A, it's horrific. B, Beth's career is now finally over and she's admired Beth's career up until this point. Or C, now she knows she's trapped as Tomas' princess. That's interesting. Because she physically cannot take that role on anymore. And we see her setting Beth's belongings out on the vanity that Nina now owns. And she just kind of looks haunted. Like she looks like she knows that she's stuck in this place. And she now has no one else that she can talk to even about this experience because Beth is not well. So back at home, Nina takes out the trash to the hall shoot and finds like a discarded pipe on the ground. She picks it up and returns to her apartment, sneaks back into her bedroom past her mother in the living room. 
she tries to use it as a door jam to keep her door shut, but her mother hears her come back in and starts to try to talk to her. So Nina quickly hides the pipe under her bed before coming to speak to Nina. She says, are you ready for me? So weird. Okay, I'm unveiling the fucking theory. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Because okay. I was going to wait to the end, but there's too many things that are piling up. Okay, so this is a Reddit theory from 13 years ago by Reddit user Hands Open. Oh my gosh, a Reddit theory? Yes, and granted, we've been putting these pieces together a lot, but the way that this person puts it. So Black Swan Theory, Nina was sexually molested by her mother. This occurred to me about halfway through the movie, and I seriously thought that this was going to be revealed by the end, but it never was. Still thinking back on all the evidence, I believe the writer slash Aronofsky dropped a bunch of hints that this was happening or had happened in her childhood, but never made it explicit. Biggest hint, which we'll talk about, Nina's sex dream with Lily. When Lily's going down on her, Nina looks down on her dark head of hair and just for a second freaks the fuck out. And then Lily looks up. Nina gives in when she sees her face. I think for a second, Nina saw her mother, but then the hallucination took over. The bit with the bar against the door is also an indicator of this happening. I saw people talking about this on IMDb. Most people think it was a loophole in the writing. The bar was removed by someone from the inside, but apparently Lily didn't stay the night. It's pretty much impossible this loophole was in the writing because Nina's reaction to it in the script. So the door jam being taken out or the fact that she needs a door jam at all. She wanted to bar her mother from coming in through the night. Also during the hallucination, Lily says, my sweet girl. Nina's mother calls her sweet girl a couple times throughout the movie. Lily is not present in either time. In real life, coincidences like this happen all the time. But in this movie, I'm inclined to believe connections like this are deliberate. Other hints, her mother demanding, take your shirt off and Nina vehemently retorting, no. Her mother about to come tuck her in for the night and saying, are you ready for me? Her mother making her lick icing off of her finger during the cake scene, which we forgot to mention. Oh my gosh, yes, that was so weird. And insisting to help undress her. I also think Nina's psychosis lends itself to this theory. The trauma of being molested by her mother might contribute to the onslaught of her paranoid delusions or her desire to be perfect and in control of everything. Getting the lead of Black Swan gives Nina the courage to deny her mother's advances for the first time and also pressures her to the point of a complete mental breakdown. Wow. So we've yet to talk about the Lily scene, which we'll talk about when we get there. But at the same time, we see Nina, even when she's in the bathroom for casual things, barricading the door with the hamper. Mm. Like... And every time that Nina is behind a closed door, her mother's being like, honey, what are you doing? Let me in. Like doing all of these types of things. This montage of my sweet girl, are you ready for me? The music box. There's a lot of hints of territorialness that is coming about with her mother. And a lot of people point to the are you ready for me being like a ritual of something that happens before bed. Is it that she's tucking her in at night? Or is it that conjoined with the scene of her getting something to barricade her door so that her mother can't come in? Is that she's being abused in some way? Wow. I mean, when you put it all together like that, it feels very probable. It makes sense too, like especially with those visuals of the finger licking those things that are coded so sexually, like it makes sense. It comes out that her mother used to be ballerina herself. And so part of me assumed it was just more of a jealousy thing or like a woman's fading youth situation, like wanting to live vicariously through her daughter. But yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, I think it's both. And I think that's the way that we're meant to perceive it is she wants to live vicariously through Nina in that way. 
But there's just certain elements where I don't know if it's because of the way that Nina was conceived, which we kind of find out a little bit more about later. But again, just the constant asking her to undress and helping her undress and putting her to bed and the fact that she's as old as she is and that she's maintaining this very childlike way in which she navigates the world and the codependent relationship that they have. I mean, again, I don't know what Aronofsky meant, but it seems a lot more predatory or equally as predatory as Tomah is being. Mm, yeah. So like at work, at home, there's no safe space for her. No. Later, Nina's at rehearsal. We can see she's seeing a physical therapist and she's lost weight. She's experiencing some complications because of how hard she's been pushing herself. At dance practice, her and like the prince, her male partner, are dancing when Toma stops the music and asks him directly in front of the whole company if he'd honestly fuck Nina, which is very embarrassing. During the plot trivia. Oh, this is Benjamin Milpede, her husband. <laughs> The man dancing with her? Yes. <gasps> oh? This is like the would you fuck her? And he's like, no. And Natalie Portman had noted like, yeah, he had to do a lot of acting in that moment, obviously. <laughs> Wait, so he is the Swan Prince? She's married to him now? Yes. Oh my God, I had no idea that he was actually in the movie. That is so cool. He's a, well, I read that he was a choreographer on the film and then it was like part of some fun IMDb trivia that that line was very funny with the way that things played out because they've been married for like almost 10 years at this point. That's delightful. <laughs> that is delightful. Of course, yeah, the dancer says no. And then he sends everybody home except Nina and he has a one-on-one -on -one dance session with Nina and he assumes the role of the prince. As they dance and move through the choreography, he begins to kiss her, to touch her breasts, to move his hand down in between her legs. He instructs Nina to open her mouth more. She complies. Then he promptly stops and says, that was me seducing you. It needs to be the other way around. This is so fucking disgusting. It is so manipulative. So later, Nina sits lightly crying in the dance studio, as you do when everyone is an <laughs> asshole. When Lily arrives smoking a cigarette, she's again very nice to Nina and asks her if she wants to talk about it, implying that she saw what had happened. Lily tells Nina he's a prick, but Nina gets defensive over Toma because of Lily's comment. He's brilliant. You don't even know him. Yeah. Lots like, of oh, grooming language she has, here. Oh, she has so much faith in this man. So she leaves. The conversation with Lily does not go well. At home, Nina's in the tub. It looks like she begins to masturbate, but then stops. She like gives up on it. She's like, yeah. fuck this. Yeah. And then she just kind of like slips under the tub water and submerges herself. She opens her eyes and looks through the distorted vision of the water. But then when she opens her eyes a second time, she sees her doppelganger hovering over her. She obviously sits up quickly. She sees that the blood she had previously hallucinated in the water is gone, but the scratches on her back are getting worse. Oh, wait, is the blood gone? No, I think there's blood on her hands and then the blood disappears. Yes. But the scratches on her back do seem to be getting worse. Yes, and okay. she even clips her own nails. So it's like feeding into that delusion that she thinks it's her fault. She's the one doing it, even though they've just been getting worse on their own. She accidentally cuts herself. And again, her mother's calling for her. Like, there's no privacy. She has the door barricaded. Later, Toma watches as Nina and the Swan Prince practice together and makes them go again and again to the point of exhaustion. 
Nina asks if he has any corrections, and Tomas like, well, Lily saw you crying and told me to take it easy on you, so maybe I should just give her the part. Maybe you should just take a week off. Maybe you should just take a month off. And says, you could be brilliant, but you're a coward. Stop being so fucking weak. Oh my god. It's awful. I hate this man. I hate this man as well. But it's also, I'm also thinking too about Lily's character. It's so hard to tell because of like your theories about her mother. Is she molesting Nina? Has she molested Nina? Is she jealous? Are we seeing a distorted view of her motherhood through Nina's unreliable narrator perspective? But it's kind of the same thing with Lily because we see things from Lily that seem genuinely kind and nice. But then we hear Tomas saying that Lily came to him and told him about this conversation. And so I'm wondering, is Lily the ally that she appears to be and Nina begins distorting that? Or are we just in a situation where truly none of the women in Nina's life are acting in her best interest? I feel like Lily is the most invested in her actual wellness. She seems to be the most genuinely invested apart from the scene we get a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But I don't even really see that as an attempt of destruction as mm-hmm. Nina does. It's more yeah. so really just trying to make a friend. Does she see it? Like, does she confuse that because she's not used to getting that kind of support from people in her life? Like, she's not used to people like Lily coming up to her and being like, hey, great job. Yeah. But it does seem as though Tama is twisting Lily's words because Nina confronts Lily and Lily's like, yeah, I told him that you were killing it and that you've been doing a really good job, not that she needed a break. Some more during the plot trivia. Darren Aronofsky apparently sent Natalie and Mila texts independent of each other, trying to create competition between the two of them, like trying to make their relationship harder by saying like, oh, like Mila did really good today. You know, you should see what she's been doing. Or Natalie did this amazing today. You should see what she's been doing and try to create drama between the two. It backfired because they would both just be like, oh my God, I'm so happy for her. And they were like really good friends during filming. But Darren Aronofsky was behind the scenes trying to create a lot of fucking tension between the two so that it would appear on screen, which is what Toma is doing. Toma is trying to create this tension between Lily and Nina because Lily's saying like, no, I just said that you were doing really good, not anything else. But Nina doesn't believe her. Of course, she believes Toma. But it's interesting because that's mirrored through methods that Aronofsky used to try to get genuine reactions out of his actresses, which we know he's known to do through Mother mm-hmm. and Jennifer Lawrence and all that kind of stuff. So it's a little snake. A little snake. So at home, Nina's mom asks if the director is taking advantage of her. She asks this directly, and she doesn't want Nina to make the same mistake that she did. And this is where we get the backstory that her mother gave up her career as a dancer because she got pregnant with Nina, and it sounds like she got pregnant from her director, some man in charge of the company. She begins pressing Nina to take off her shirt and show her scratches, to which Nina assertively says no, right, as the doorbell rings. There's also dialogue where she's like, I gave up a lot because of you. And Nina's like, well, thanks. And she's like, well, I mean, as far as my career. And Nina's like, what career? <laughs> like, again, this <laughs> sass between the two and some of this language is mirrored later. The mom sends whoever's at the door away, but Nina runs to see who it is. It was Lily coming yeah. to apologize. The mom keeps trying to interject, being like, Nina, you need to rest. Your dinner's getting cold. But Lily offers to take Nina for drinks as an apology for telling Toma on her. And Nina takes her up on it. She grabs her stuff and runs off with Lily to a bar. So at drinks, the two continue their conversation about Toma. Lily asserts again that she thinks he's a creep, but Nina still stands by him and his artistic vision. 
then Lily asks Nina how Toma is. Like is but nina doesn't want to talk about it and then lily tries to give her some molly to loosen her up but nina declines i guess because nina she left the house in a hurry she wasn't wearing attire appropriate i guess for being out to drinks lily gives her like a black tank that she could change into so lily goes to the bathroom to put it on and when she comes back up she sees that lily is talking to two guys one of them is played by sebastian stan i wrote steve what are you doing here In an alternate universe. Or the same universe. The same universe. He wants to eat her. Uh Uh-huh. And she sees that Lily is spiking a drink. She's putting whatever powder into her drink. I don't know. Is it Molly? I think it was. Ecstasy, I think. Okay. Because she even had said to her, you mean you've never rolled? And I'm like, Lily, does this look like a person who has ever done anything? (laughs) I can. I'm loosening my, like, I'm adjusting my non-existent glasses right now. And I'm saying this woman has never rolled. No. (laughs) (laughs) But then Nina gives into some peer pressure. She decides to stay. She'll have a drink. So as they talk with who Lily has lovingly named Tom and Jerry, (laughs) Lily and Tom get up to get more drinks, which leaves Nina and Jerry to chat. Nina has taken the drugs at this point and in the middle of her conversation with Sebastian Stan starts feeling the drugs and then they all decide to go dancing. Nina's having some brief hallucinations on the dance floor. She sees herself briefly in black swan makeup, strobing, She blacks out for a moment and then comes to in the bathroom making out with some other guy, which I love. (laughs) I I don't know what possessed me to write this, but I wrote, I can never roll because I'd never roll. I'd be barreling. Like, (laughs) I could never maintain any level of control in this situation. Obviously, Nina is not either. Yeah. I also noted that Sebastian Stan called Nina beautiful and Nina was kind of like, that's nice. And then rolled up to Lily and cuddled into her neck. And I'm Mm. like, it's pretty gay. That's pretty gay. Pretty gay of you, and it's gonna get gayer. Yep. She ends up getting bored with her makeout. She goes outside to leave, and Lily follows her, and they both get into a cab. As they're in the cab, Lily slowly moves her hand and touches Nina's leg, moves her hand up her leg, starts rubbing, but then Nina stops it. They arrive together back at Nina's place and sees that her mother is still awake, and her mother tries to force her to go to bed, but Nina rebels. Her mother slaps her hard across the face. Nina grabs Lily's hand and pulls her back into her room, grabs the barricade, shuts and secures the door. And then what happens? I preface this with saying, ah, yes, the scene that both confirmed my sexuality while I was still in the closet. But just a reminder that I was watching this in the movie theater with my grandparents (laughs) and my mother. (laughs) I saw this movie in theaters with close family members and had to put on my brave face like I was not enjoying every second of it. (laughs) But yes, we have a very Jennifer's Body-esque type of scene where those two are hooking up, they're making out. Lily goes down on Nina, but then sees like her doppelganger going down on herself. And again, like maybe there was the flash of the mother. I don't know. Lily's tattooed wings are like merging and flowing inside of her back, which Mm. is again showing the influence of the drugs. Lily goes down on her and we see Nina actually experience an orgasm for the first time. Like she had never done that with herself. We never see her achieve that with Toma, but she does achieve an orgasm in this situation. Lily rises and says, my sweet girl. Again, going back to that theory, it's really hard to ignore her. It's really right in front of me now. It's really right there. She morphs into the Nina doppelganger and the Nina doppelganger smothers her with a pillow. Just kind of is used as a scene cut. So then it cuts to the next morning. Nina wakes up alone, doesn't see any evidence of Lily spending the night because Lily is no longer there. 
She runs out and sees her mom sitting very stony-faced on the couch and asks why she didn't wake her up and arrives at the company late to see Lily dancing her part. Mm. So after the routine is over, Lily comes over to Nina right away and is like, he just asked me to stand in for you. But then Nina confronts her about putting something in her drink and then just leaving the next morning without saying goodbye. But plot twist, Lily is like, I didn't sleep over. And then, of course, teases her about having a, quote, lezzy wet dream. You fantasized about me? Was I good? (laughs) (laughs) So good. But of course, this is such a jarring moment because if this is a hallucination, like, wow, I thought it actually happened. I forgot that it was a hallucination. This was the second time I watched it. So we don't know the truth at this point. True, good point. Because this is another moment. This is another moment with, like, on the surface, like, you want to believe that she's good. But then there are these moments where it's like, are you... I don't know. I mean, honestly, up until the last few frames of the movie, this can be seen as a fight club situation, where is Lily real at all? True. Because we don't see her interact with really anybody else. Stop. (laughs) I mean, Toma, like, acknowledges it. She does say that. She's from San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toma, and then obviously she knocks at the door and the mother answers. So it's not that she's, like, not real. We obviously know that she's real. And the role that she's playing in Nina's life is a little bit just outside of the truth. But there's Mm -hmm. a lot of moments where I'm like, is this Brad Pitt? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Brad. Brad. (laughs) Is this just an equally hot person who turns out not being real? I don't know. So later, Nina is back dancing in her part, and the director is back to looking uninterested, unlike when he was watching Lily, which of course made that sting extra hard. Back at home, Nina dry heaves into the toilet and then tries to sleep to the sound of her music box before shoving it off the table and throwing out all of her stuffed animals. So we're seeing this shedding of some old self going on. The next day is dress rehearsal. They work the final scene where the swan jumps to her death. Seems fine. The director is still acting like he's unimpressed because he's a jerk. And then Nina has, I guess, her final, like, costume fittings. And then she sees her doppelganger scratching herself in the mirror as she looks at her own reflection. Lily then arrives, and she is getting fitted for the same costume and learns that Toma has made Lily the alternate. Nina is very upset by this information. She feels like Lily is working to replace her. She confronts Toma and tells him of her suspicions, but he tells her that today at the rehearsal, she had a breakthrough and that everything is fine. So he temporarily quells her anxiety. Yeah, he pretty much says, if you give a great performance, you won't have to worry about anybody else, which again is just putting this unsurmountable amount of pressure on her. Nina ends up practicing so late by herself that even the piano player abandons her. Yeah, he's like, like, I have a life. Like, girl, go home. (laughs) Please go home. The lights go out again, and as she goes to explore, she sees Toma having sex with her black swan persona, but then I'm like, is this Lily? Wait, I thought it was Lily. Well, we think it's Lily, but then it's her doppelganger's face, so then we're (sighs) like, is this even real? Is this Lily? Is she fucking Toma? Because, Mm. I mean, we see flirtatious behavior out of Lily. She especially likes to flirt with the Swan Prince, like we see those two flirting a lot, but Lily has maintained that Toma is a pervert this entire movie. So part of me thinks that this isn't real. Either way, Nina cries, packs up her things, runs out, sees her own image on the Swan Lake posters, and instead of being proud, she's horrified. So she runs to the hospital and sees Beth hunched over in a chair. Nina goes to leave her belongings back with her with a note, but Beth kind of wakes up and grabs her wrist. It's like, what are you doing here? Nina's like, I'm so sorry. I know how it feels now. She's trying to replace me. What do I do? I was just trying to be perfect like you. 
Beth says, I'm not perfect, picks up a letter opener or a knife. I don't exactly know, but she says, I'm nothing, and stabs herself in the face repeatedly. And again, her face morphs to the doppelganger's face. And as Nina runs away, she sees blood on her hands and the knife in her hands. So I'm like, did you just fucking kill Beth? Because in the elevator, the knife is in her hand and there's blood on her hands and she washes the blood off her hands the second she gets home. Well, knowing what happens at the end, maybe. Oh, shit. So she finally gets back home after a whirlwind day and she hears somebody say, sweet girl in the darkness. She turns on the light and sees Beth standing in the corner. This was very scary. Yeah, this was a good jump scare. This was a jump scare I was not expecting in a movie. Like this was like a true haunted house jump scare. Yes, very it was. A boo scare. Scary. Yeah. yeah, a boo scare. A boo scare. Okay. And then next she evacuates the kitchen. Her mother's paintings begin yelling at her. And as she rips them down, her mother comes into the room and asks what's happening. You know, Nina gets away from her into her room. The mother busts into Nina's room where Nina has started to itch at her back so fiercely and pull feathers from the scaly wound that she has had. And then Nina slams the door on her mother's hand after pushing her out. Nina, as she stands alone in her room, her legs invert backward like a bird's before she blacks out. So she is seemingly physically morphing into the swan. Nina wakes with her mom at her bedside in the broken music box playing. I like that there was like the broken ballerina still spinning because obviously we saw her fucking trash it earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. Nina wakes to fucking socks on her hand like a newborn, Mm. like to stop her from scratching. I'm like, again, the infantilization of this girl, like what the fuck? Her mother then goes on to say that she called the company and told everyone she wasn't feeling well and went as far as taking her motherfucking doorknob off to prevent her from leaving the room. I don't know what the fuck she expected was going to happen when Nina found this news out, but of course Nina freaks out. She gets out of bed. She yells at her mother to tell her where the doorknob is. Her mother won't tell her. Nina ends up finding it beneath a chair cushion and is like, girl, you did not even try to hide that. Ends up squeezing her mother's hand, her injured hand, to force her into submission so Nina can get out the door into the dance studio. And the mother even asks, what happened to my sweet girl? And Nina says, she's gone. I'm the swan queen. You never left the core. Ooh! Writing it down. (laughs) Taking notes. So Nina arrives. We hear Lily say, you were supposed to be sick. What's going on? I had to take note as to whether we actually physically saw Lily saying this or if Nina just heard it. Because it certainly sounds like motive. Motive. For her to maybe have fucked with her in the first place? Yep. You're right. Noticing that Nina might have been vulnerable and trying to capitalize on that. Oh, my! see? Mm -hmm. I can't figure out (laughs) what it is. And I I know what I want to believe, but I don't know. That's such a good point. Exactly. Because she's angry. Like, when we hear her first, she's just like, what's going on? You were supposed to be sick. You were supposed to? What's going on? And I understand if you think that you're getting this leading role and then all of a sudden it's ripped out from under you, you're a little upset. But at the same time, that language reads motive to me. But Mm -hmm. then I, again, I didn't take note, but I want to take note as to whether we physically see Lily's lips saying that or if Nina is just hearing it. So Tomah claims that he already asked Lily to step in as Nina begins her makeup. And then we see her little ascension happen here. She's like, after Beth, do you really need another controversy? I'm here and I'm doing it. And Tomah is very pleased with that answer. Like, loves being challenged, has a little kink for it. As she dresses up her feet, we see that they're webbed. Yep. Very much like a swan's is. And it is showtime. 
She dances the white swan. She's beautiful. Gorgeous, gorgeous. She does it, <laughs> she does it great. Except she gets distracted when looking at the company as the swan prince is spinning her around in the air. She sees her doppelganger dancing in the company in Lily's place. So because she didn't make the correct move, the swan prince ends up dropping her and is even like, what the fuck? I know, I love it. So she sobs as she dances off stage and Tomah is pissed. And Tomah's like, this is a disaster and starts yelling in French. So things are not going well. (sighs) Yeah, first act done, intermission, it's chaos. In her dressing room, Nina is getting into her black swan costume and she sees Lily getting ready as the black swan. In her vanity. In her vanity. She's literally sitting in her spot. Lily starts telling her, I'm not sure if you're ready. But then her face morphs into Nina's doppelganger again and they get into a literal fight where Nina ends up stabbing her doppelganger in the abdomen, seemingly killing her. But then as she lay on the floor, the doppelganger's face turns back to Lily's face. And Nina realizes in horror that she has just murdered Lily. But she's got to go back on stage. (laughs) So she drags Lily's body into a closet to hide in there. And then she continues her black swan makeup and gets on stage in her black swan costume and is killing it. She is actually having a physical transformation where instead of just rashes, she's forming feathers out of her abdomen and arms. Her eyes are red. Her nose seems a little bit more pointed. And she transforms into the black swan on stage. Obviously, this is in her head. She looks normal to everyone else. But she is getting a standing ovation. She's getting flowers thrown. She kisses Toma in front of everybody. She's getting so much praise. So as she runs back to the dressing room prior to the last act, she sees the broken mirror and blood emanating from under the bathroom stall, but she hides with a towel. Oh, that's right. She's stabbed with a shard of glass from a mirror. Yeah, because she pushed her up against the mirror and it broke. But she hears a knock at the door as she's doing this, and it's Lily. Lily compliments her, saying, listen, I knew that I was excited for the role, but you absolutely blew me away. Nina thanks her, but obviously is very confused. Yeah, it's like, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. (laughs) So she removes the towel to see no blood after all and no body. As Taylor Swift would say, no body, no crime. Mm, But there was a crime. Well, not technically, but somebody was stabbed. (laughs) And it wasn't Lily. Nina realizes in horror as she looks down, now that she has put back on her white swan costume, that she has stabbed herself. And we can see the blood starting to show on her gorgeous white outfit. She sits down and calmly continues to get ready for her next scene. She takes the stage in her final moments, bleeding still, does her final routine, gets up on top of the stairs, falls onto the mattress to imitate her death. Right after tearfully seeing her mother has attended and is sitting in the audience. Everyone is standing and cheering. They're in awe of her performance. Toma comes to her still lying on the mattress backstage and calls her his little princess. Lily is the first to notice Nina's wound. She gasps, which cues everybody to look a little harder at the image. We can see her abdomen covered in blood. Toma asks what Nina did and she responds, I felt it perfect. And we can hear the crowd continue to cheer as the credits begin to roll. And we're left wondering if Nina survives her wounds or not. And that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So diving right into some post-plot trivia, 
This comes from IMDb. While the crew was applying the stab wound to Natalie Portman, she commented to director Darren Aronofsky that she was uncomfortable with the placement of the blood so low on her abdomen because it looked like a period. Aronofsky told her he intentionally placed the blood where it was to symbolize Nina becoming a woman. As a result, right? As a result, Natalie Portman stated that she doesn't believe Nina dies at the end of the film. She sees it more as Nina having killed the little girl in order to mature into a woman. I also feel a little bad about that. It feels a little bit like she was bullied and manipulated and tortured into becoming a woman. Yeah. Which really sucks. So this was actually a controversy I wasn't aware of. Following her Oscar win, controversy arose over who performed the bulk of the on-screen dancing in the film. Sarah Lane, one of Portman's dancing doubles in the film, claimed that the actress performed only about 5% of the body shots, adding that she was asked by the film's producers not to speak publicly about it during award season. However, Aronofsky reportedly went frame by frame in the movie to decipher who did what and defended Portman by insisting that she had performed 80% of the on-screen dancing. Huh. That's some tea right there. It is tea. And like, it's both concerning because obviously I feel as though a lot of stunt and body doubles do not get the adequate credit that they deserve for their contemporaries' acting abilities and the accolades that that person ends up getting and who is credited for that. But also at the same time, I did read that even prior to this film being financed, Natalie Portman was paying out of her own pocket for dance classes because she believed in the project so much. So at the same time, I do believe that in compilation with the amount of injuries she received, she deserved the win. Yeah, I think so too. But I think your point is good. You're right. These body doubles, like we only ever hear about the actors, but they couldn't do what they do without the body doubles doing what they do. Yeah. So like, it would be cool if they could get more recognition. I always think of that contortionist who did that scene in Suspiria where she mm-hmm. wasn't an actress. She was a contortionist and that's why she got hired. I think Alina Fokina is her name. That horrific scene, like an actor couldn't have done that. No. Only somebody in her craft could have done that. And I always like that she is credited for the actual work that she did in that. Again, these ballet movies just fucking get me, man. I don't know what it is. <laughs> So I found a really good article entitled Fractured Femininity in Black Swan by Kia Browning. And this really outlined a lot of Nina's development and the expectations that were put on Nina and how Nina's almost like this tragic character. She writes, When we are introduced to Nina Sayers, she's practically still a child. She sleeps in her childhood bedroom, seemingly unchanged. The pink butterfly wallpaper, single bed, and stuffed animals are hallmark of a young girl, not an adult woman. Her mother cooks her meals, helps her dress and undress, tucks her into bed at night, all while chastising her if she misbehaves. Mm. Even her name is derived from the Spanish Nina, meaning little girl. Oh! The film follows Nina as she figuratively enters a late puberty. Her body begins changing, developing feathers, webbed feet, peeling skin, leaving her afraid of who or what she is becoming. She experiences a sexual awakening and begins rebelling against her mother and experimenting with her appearance. And we do see this throughout the film, too. In the beginning, she's dressed primarily in white, beige, pink. And at the end, she's in gray, black, charcoal. There's a lot of different developments. And we even see her dancing with her hair down in a certain scene toward the end, which is obviously hallmark of some sort of evolution happening. Nina's home should be a refuge, but feels more like a prison. Her mother, Erica, violates her boundaries constantly, demanding she remove her clothes whenever she feels it is necessary and forcibly cutting Nina's nails till it hurts. If she so much as asks her mother for a smaller slice of cake, her mother loses her temper and Nina begins resorting to barricading doors for her privacy in her bedroom or the bathroom. When her mother decides what she eats, how she looks, or who she sees, playing the Swan Queen isn't just about perfection, it's the only thing she can control. 
Erica was once a ballerina herself, but had to quit to raise her daughter. It's clear that she sees Nina as an extension of herself, but it's as if she's constantly oscillating between her desire for Nina to succeed where she couldn't and her need to see her fail. Mm. Erica has been discarded just like Beth and just Mm. like Nina would inevitably be when her body was deemed no longer useful, but she misdirects her anger and resentment towards her daughter instead of toward a system that treats women like they're disposable. Despite her actions, it's not hard to sympathize with her. She wants her daughter to remain pure and innocent because it was her own sexual activity that destroyed her career. It's implied that Nina has a past with disordered eating and self-harm, and it's clear that she desperately is trying to help her, but the way in which she does makes Nina descend further into the depths of her mental illness. She has good intentions, but ultimately sets Nina up to be taken advantage of by men who don't because she's left her easily influenced and desperate to please with no knowledge of how adult relationships should function. Yeah. And obviously this person isn't hinting at the Reddit theory. This person thinks that Erica is well-intentioned. And I don't want to say that Erica isn't well-intentioned because one theory is one theory and that's not the truth of the matter. But if we see it as not as well-intentioned and she wants to see her own daughter fail because she failed, there's a lot to see there. They continue, where Nina's name means little girl, Lily's means pure. There's a notable irony considering her smoking and drug habits as well as her sexual freedom, but she's also purely authentically herself where Nina is not. Everything she does is instinctual from the way that she dances to the way that she interacts with others. Lily isn't technically perfect, but her movements are unrestrained. She breaks rules, flirts effortlessly, and exudes confidence. Through her relationship with Lily, Nina defies her mother, experiments with drugs, and has a true sexual awakening. Lily's also the only person who calls out Tomas' behavior as manipulative and predatory. She tells her that he'll begin calling her Little Princess soon, warning her that he sees them as practically interchangeable. In a better world, Lily could have been her friend. Instead, she is everything that Nina's been taught to fear. Perhaps the greatest tragedy of the film is that Nina isn't allowed to simply exist without external pressures dictating how she's supposed to behave. She isn't allowed to form her own identity, only swaps out the desires of one figure in her life for another's. Her idea of perfection has been shaped by Thomas, and her accomplishment is ultimately in meeting his expectations rather than her own. She dies the moment it's confirmed that he doesn't care about her as an individual at all, and while she's punished for her desperation, he profits off of her hard work without suffering any consequences. Nina's demise is the result of her attempt to live up to the contradictory expectations of womanhood placed on her, but when they permeate every aspect of her life, what other choice does she have? Wow. Dude, this is bleak. It is bleak because a lot of people too will look at the Lily and Nina scene and be like, oh my God, so fun. She's gay, (laughs) gay ballerinas, whatever. But like, I look at that scene and first of all, we don't know that it actually fucking happened, Mm -hmm. right? So like that is a whole fucking thing of, is this real? Did Lily sleep with her? Lily even says like, unless your name is Tom and you have a dick, no, I didn't spend the night with you last night. So again, we're trying to think of what is the actual truth of the situation. But if we were to take the sexual experience on face value as we see it for the first time, you know, that is even being described as a sexual awakening. The girl is rolling. She's being taken advantage of. Like Mm -hmm. this is not permissible just because she orgasms. And of course, at the time, like I noted that anecdote of like, I was having the time of my life. And like, yeah, sure, great. It's Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman making out. It's hot, it's great, whatever. (laughs) But at the same time, like if we're looking at this in the context of Nina's character arc, there is not a single individual in this movie that doesn't take advantage of her. Yeah, that is so true. Even like them in the taxi and she's rolling and she's putting her hand between her legs. Like that's not hot. 
this girl is obviously off her ass. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. But at the same time, like this could be seen as a queer allegory of her coming out or her repressed sexuality or her unable to experience pleasure with Toma because she's gay the entire time and her unable to access that level of sexuality because her mom is so overbearing and like all that kind of stuff. And there could be truth to those interpretations. Yeah. But I, again, see Nina as a child, the majority of the movie, who is forced into maturing before she was ready, even though she should have been maturing. She's 20-something, whatever. Again, she's the only one that has to pay the consequences for it with her life. Yeah. It's like she was kept by her mother in this very immature space and then was ripped out of that prolonged childhood, I'll call it, by other people wanting to take advantage of that naivety, like seeing her as somebody that they could take advantage of. And I'm also wondering too, like when we look at Lily's character, it almost feels more empowering to look at that scene as just like a really vivid fantasy. Yeah. Like was she rolling, got into a cab, and then because of the drugs was just fantasizing so hard that she thought this thing actually happened? Did she go home, fight with her mom, bar the door, and then masturbate? And she was the one that was able to make herself orgasm, which is, you know, more settling than the idea that she was taken advantage of, or somebody was trying to fuck up her sleep schedule so they could become the alternate and wow the company. Right. Like, it's a little bit maybe better to think of it that way, but at the same time, it still feels bleak. Or is Nina so paranoid that everybody else's actions appear more sharp than they actually are? Mm -hmm. Like, is her mom as overbearing as she is? Yeah, or, I thought about that. Like, is it as predatory? And this sounds very victim blamey, so I don't necessarily want to attribute too much truth to this interpretation. But we see Nina being paranoid throughout the entire movie, being so fixated and focused on one goal that she sees everybody's actions as antagonistic to that goal, no matter how how unrelated it is. Mm -hmm. Like her mother's trying to care for her. Like, oh my God, my daughter's sick. You're trying to ruin my chance at being a ballerina because you never left the core because you got pregnant and that's your problem. Is Toma invested in her or did she see Beth's actions as the only way that she could do that? So she participated in that as well. Is Lily being a good friend or is Lily this person who is out to fucking get her? Again, Nina is an unreliable narrator. How much of her perspective is the truth or how much of what we're seeing is as extreme as it's coming off? And because it all is so extreme, is that the point? I think that what you're saying has to be intentional. It has to be intentional that we are left at the end wondering what really happened and what really didn't and whose intentions were what. It has to be part of it, especially because we were experiencing this through Nina's perspective and she couldn't even figure that out herself. This movie's captivating regardless. It's got some it cool body horror stuff. And I think, what, it's 12 years old now? 13? 13. I think it feels like it could have come out yesterday and it would hold up. I think it's, like you said, captivating. I think the acting is really great. I think the storyline is awesome. I don't know. I mean, I'm a sucker for like a womanhood movie. What can I say? But that was Black Swan. Happy birthday! Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> So if you want to keep up with us and what we're doing, definitely follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast and or feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.